Hey all, welcome to the Military Wire with Mike Schindler. This is the podcast where we interview some of America's most elite men and women who have served this country. We share their stories, we share their proven lessons in leadership, in overcoming, and their journey to finding mission and purpose. Today's guest is Michael Rod Rodriguez, goes by Rod, President and CEO of the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation, of which President George W. Bush just recently joined your board. Rod, welcome to the show. No, hey, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation, Mike. Yeah, no, great to have you. Rod, you've got an impressive background. I mean, you served as a Special Forces Sniper Course Instructor, you were a medic. Obviously, you were a sniper, part of the Green Beret Foundation, Veterans Advisory Council. I mean, the list goes on. And now you're leading the team at the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation. You know, Rod, you got a you got an amazing background, one that, you know, many that have served look at you and probably put you on a pedestal. But, but talk to us a little bit about your story. What's your story? How did you tell us a little bit about your service story, but then how you got involved in all these amazing projects? Yeah, so uh, I'm just a regular guy. I mean, I'm just a skinny kid from New Mexico, man. That's what I tell people. Uh, you know, but growing up, my first heroes really were my father, uh, Vietnam veteran, and my grandfather both served in World War II, you know, and, and uh, I always looked up to that. I always aspired to that, you know. I mean, I, I really, they were like my first heroes before that comic book heroes, you know. Um, so when I had the very first opportunity to, when I was, uh, uh, I graduated high school when I was 16, uh, tried to wait a little bit before I could join the Army, and I joined when I was 17 years old, left uh, the late entry, joined, uh, left when I turned 18. Um, and uh, I was, I, I, thought, I call it a blessing, but, you know, I, um, just a few months after I enlisted in the Army, actually less than a year, I was deployed to Somalia. Mm. And uh, that was kind of the, kind of set the tone for me as far as uh, realizing, one, I, I, I think I chose the right profession. Uh, it wasn't a job. It was, I saw it as a profession. Mm. And two, I saw the, the, the far-reaching uh, impact of serving the military, you know. Um, obviously, it culminated with me being, you know, Special Forces, Green Beret, uh, Medic, and Cypher, and all the other hats I used to wear. But, you know, really good at hunting down bad guys. But that's not really all we did. You know, I saw the humanitarian side. I, was, I saw the, the positive aspects of, of uh, freeing people from oppression and, and stuff like that. So I did that for a bit. But it, in my first two deployments, uh, I always came across, like, Green Berets, and I'd see them. I saw them in Somalia. Uh, one thing I remember most is they weren't wearing all the stuff we were wearing, and they had a pet monkey, which I thought was so <laughs> cool. You know? uh, and then I saw them again in Haiti uh, you know, a couple years after that, you know, when we uh, re- the United States uh, restored democracy in, in the country, Haiti. I was part of that. And uh, I saw them again, and I decided, you know, throw my hat in the ring, see what happens. I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity. I selection made it. I uh, graduated from the Q course. Uh, a little bit after I graduated the Q course, of course, uh, uh, 9-11 happened. Um, and that, you know, kind of pushed uh, not just special forces and special operations, but, you know, all those that wore the, yep. uh, our nation's uniform in a direction and, and towards the global war on terror. Um, and, and then, you know, culminated with... Uh, you know, I got hurt a few times. I got to joke around a bit, you know, I don't have much time, but I kept all my pieces. I like to joke, like, I'm a roach. You know, I, I just kept coming back. You know, I probably should have, <laughs> I probably should have died a long time ago. Uh, but yeah. maybe, maybe I was too ignorant or, uh, stubborn to. But, um, you know, injuries caught up with me and I was medically retired about five years ago. Uh, my wife retired. She was an active duty, uh, 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 senior NCO as well. She was a 68 whiskey. Uh, 
combat medic. He retired last year after 21 years. My oldest son, who's an airborne infantryman here at Fort Bragg, I live in Fayetteville. Uh, he just got home from his first deployment in Afghanistan. That's uh, 15, 16 deployments for my family. No. Um, so it's just it's just kind of what we do, you know. We love it. We're not special, but we don't look at ourselves like, oh, we're all, you know, by no means, you know. We're just, you know, we're just trying to do our part, you know. Um, and then that's kind of how I look at it: is serving something bigger than yourself. And, and that all started with my very first deployment uh, to Somalia in nineteen ninety three. No kidding. Wow. And you've got, I mean, your whole family serves. It's so impressive that your wife and your son, and I mean, this is part of your, I mean, this is part of your DNA. I mean, this, is, this is part of your DNA, brother. This is, thank you for that. I mean, truly. And thank your wife and your son. I mean, you know, carrying on the tradition, this is, I mean, that's a big deal. But, uh, you know, I, I want to touch on something, you know, transition to civilian life, um, you know, the studies show that that transition to civilian life, not necessarily combat or the multiple deployments, is one of the, the most, it's one of the leading causes to stress uh, amongst our brothers and sisters. They struggle with finding a new sense of mission and purpose. How, how did you, how did both you and your wife make that transition to civilian life easier? How did you guys do it? Right, so my, my transition and my wife's transition could not have been any more polar opposites of each other. I mean, they were completely opposite. Um, see, I, I retired five years ago, and as I mentioned, I mean, yep. uh, it was a medical retirement. I didn't want to get out. I did not. I saw myself. That was it. You know, the hardest thing I ever had to hear was when I was at Walter Reed. I was hospitalized there for a while, and uh, one of the doctors came and told me, he goes, hey, uh, uh, hey, Ron, um, you can no longer perform your duties as a Special Forces Green Beret. Uh, we are initiating medical retirement proceedings. That was the hardest. That's why I hope that's exactly what I mean. I said that I could still see the back telling me that, you know. Yeah. And for me, it was uh, that shift away my identity. It shift away everything that I had done. You know, my entire adult life had been in service of this country, trying to yeah, continue a pursuit of excellence, which led me to special forces and led me to go, go to, you know, be, become a sniper or the medic, the hardest. Uh, uh, of the special of the special forces specialties and the others that are listening are probably upset when we say that but academically being at 18 doctors is far harder than anything else uh, and then you know cho- choosing the hard path really and, and not so much for uh, any prestige but because of the challenge you know we yep. love the challenge um, but when they told me that I was like I said stripped away of everything and, and you know being in the military uh, whether it's four years or 21 years like myself you know, um, there's a reason we feel like that. There really is because we're asked to do uh, certain things that you know uh, most could not do, or most would never do. So it's it's part of that. It, it empowers us. It, it empowers us to do all those amazing things that I saw my brothers and sisters do, not just overseas, but even training, even here back back yeah. stateside. You know, they're so, such high high functioning individuals, amazing performers. So that's what we do. But in one of the I don't know kind of a consequence, but one of the side effects, I suppose, of, of that is that we, we that's called our master identity. It's who we think we are, you know. Never mind the fact we're a, a husband, a wife, a father, a brother, a sister, a son. Never mind all that other stuff, which I think is more important now. Um, but that's what we identify. So when we're leaving that, it's like we're leaving ourselves. Um, and it, mm-hmm. for... For me, it was very difficult. Uh, you know, I was already, you know, I was not, I was already, you know, uh, self-medicating, dealing with my, my stresses. Uh, so I was already an alcoholic. I was already, I mean, it was, it was not, like, it was the worst, it was, it was awful. 
um, it's not good, not going hard at all. Um, yeah, yeah. So that but was not my uncommon, right, Rod? I mean, that's no, not no, uncommon. Definitely I mean, not. You weren't going down a unique not. path. I mean, this is something that a, a lot of our brothers and sisters struggle with. So yeah, I'm yeah, track exactly. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You know, it's it's very common. So. You know, I struggled for a couple of years. I stayed in the fight, and somehow I, I had to remind myself that, you know, uh, find something bigger than yourself. You can still serve. You know, I'll be at, I have 21 years in the Army. That wasn't just me. It just helped create the man I am today. You know, everything, and so did my childhood, and so did my adolescence. So did everything. Is, 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 so if you view it in, in that aspect, I, you know, there was a moment I sat there, I'm like, wow, you know, I'm no good to anybody else if I'm not good to myself. You know, it was actually a really good friend of mine told me that. Um, so I, I was like, well, let me find something more. So I started serving. I was like, well, who there, who was there to help me? And I started volunteering with very different, uh, better service organizations and just volunteering my time, you know, cause I don't, that's their greatest asset. You know, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, by no means I have a flat making count, but I, I still value my time. That is far more important than the greatest asset we all have. So I started investing that back into the community, back into, when I say community, I mean not just the veteran, but the civilian community, volunteering and local Boy Scouts. You know, um, if you want to change the world, you got to start with yourself. You want to make the better the world a better place. I say that every morning I wake up, I want to make the world a better place somehow. Mm. And sometimes it's That's as awesome. simple as a smile. You know, um, Amen. so I got involved more and in getting back and serving, and then it turned into, you know, what I'm, I guess kind of what I'm doing today, I suppose. Yeah. So, and you mentioned your wife, so you said polar opposites. So, does she just transition and like had no problem? She's like, yeah. God, let me so, show you how this is done, you know? <laughs> so, it was, it was the other way around. I was like, hey, she, she was ready to rebuttal. Um, so obviously my my transition she shared you know you, you don't yep. you, you know you, yeah. you're you're uh, you're arrogant or conceited if you think if you're serving in the uniform and and your family's not serving your family serves you know that's, that's it right. is what it is you know that's, so right. that's, that's, that's your powerful unit um but so she saw what I what I went through and I learned at that point you know I, it would been four years post transition for me I had figured it out I was like hey this is what worked for me but I didn't tell her. You know, I'm, I'm no transition expert by any means. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of people claim that, but I showed her and I, I show, I, you know, I, I, I mentor a lot of veterans in the transition. I say, hey, this is what worked for me. This is what didn't work for me. This is what I did. But I don't tell them. I never dictate steps. I don't ever say, do this, do this, do this, because it's wholly unique. Everyone's different. Everyone has different needs and different, different fights that, that they engage in every day. There's different obstacles in their way. There's, so I just provide guidance. This will work for me. Maybe this, maybe that, but make it your own. Yeah. You know, just like when you when you learn, you know, you, someone gives you information. You're like, all right, uh, how can I figure that out? They told me how to do it. That's the steps, but let me figure out a better way or what's going to work best for me. It's like when I taught at the cyber course here for was a cyber structure for just short of six years. So I knew the fundamentals, so I would lay the students down and, and give it to them, but I also allowed them to take take it and make it their own and be more comfortable. A comfortable shooter is a better shooter. Uh, as long as they follow the principles and guidelines I provided, they were far better, you know, and, and my students had a, had a great pass rate, not because I'm a great instructor, because I allowed them to make it their own. Yeah. You know, I didn't make them do it exactly like this. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I did with with, uh, with my wife, you know. I said, this works, this didn't work, and then I, I at that point, I, I knew a bunch of resources that I didn't know existed when I was transition and I provided them to her and and she 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 did a lot better than I did. 
No, that's awesome. That's cool. Well, I love that. I mean, she just essentially stood on the shoulders of a giant and said, hey, listen, I'm going to learn from your mistakes. I'm going to get a better view of this, and I'm not going to make the same mistakes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if there's something on the shoulders of a giant and more like, I'm not going to do with that idiot. Right. I'll take that. Hey, man. No, I totally get it. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. You know, I, I got to tell you, Rod, I, 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 I was looking over your profile and and I love what you have on your LinkedIn profile, and, and hopefully, you know, people can follow you there on your LinkedIn profile. But uh, continuing my service to others, first through established leadership in the military and civilian communities through teamwork and collaboration. Loved that. Love that. Yeah. Love that. I mean, I mean, you're talking about pulling. I mean, you're talking. You're, you're going back to one team, one fight. Listen, we we might be veterans. We might be you know individuals that have served this country. Uh, but it's going to take the community to solve the issues. And that means people that have served and people that have served in other capacities, maybe not in uniform. And I, I love that collaboration piece. Um, so yeah, it, it, that's, the, that's the best way to do it, you know, because if, if, if I don't have any answers and I'm always learning, I'll try and learn something new every day, you know, and excuse me, if, if you, if you surround yourself with people that are, are thirsting, you know, have that thirst for, Learning or want to be a better person, that pursuit of excellence that I, I talked about a minute ago. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be a better person yourself, and if you're giving, it's gonna make you better, and you're gonna learn. It's just community. You know, I look at it. So, you want to this? You know, a lot of my brothers, uh, a, lot, a lot of the guys in the collaboration community. Well, let's just say something. I don't want to say a lot. I'm glad to this statement, but uh, you know, some of them look down upon some of our support guys. Mm. Um, you know, I never did that. I did not. I ne- I've never looked at Anybody that wore the uniform and asked them, I looked at their chest or looked at what tabs they had and, and thought they were less than I was. I mean, never. That was, that's just, that's, I guess, it, it's just not being a nice, a good person, you know? Um, and they're not, they're not going to want to work for you because they think you're better than them. Um, so I always treated everyone the exact same, you know? I never saw anybody as, I couldn't have done my job without them. Um, and, and that translated to, you know, when I, when I started, Operating with those that didn't wear the, the uniform either, you know. I don't look at it. I don't ever look down on anybody or think they have any less uh, patriot patriotism than me or my family because they didn't wear the uniform. There's so many other way, good ways to be a, a a good patriotic American citizen. You know, follow laws, pay your taxes, be a good person. Um, you know, help people out, serve your community. Uh, you know, just just be good. That's to me. That's being a patriot. I think really it is. Uh, not everyone has to put on a uniform. And, and pick up a gun and go in harm's way. You know, some of us did it and loved it. I miss it every day. I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. But there's other ways to be to be better. And if you bring people together and treat everyone the same, they're going to, people are definitely going to, that's how you empower others, in my opinion. Oh, it's so true. You know, it's interesting you say that. And uh, and this is not a plug for Tim Kennedy's show, but uh, I, I don't know if you know Tim Kennedy, who does, uh, he was hunting Hitler, right? And then uh, in pursuit of Hitler or something like that. And then he's, he's on this hard, uh, hard to kill. And he took that same philosophy, which was, hey, listen, you know, I've got, you know, special ops background, sniper. I'm sure you guys know each other. And now he's, he's out there in America doing the hardest jobs that normal everyday Americans do and bringing attention to them. Uh, and when I asked Tim, do you prep for these jobs? Like, do you get like, here's your assignment and you've got three weeks to prepare for this. He's like, no, I, I get the assignment and I got to go and do it to see if I can yeah. do it. And yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Tim, Tim, Tim's doing great stuff and, and you're, you, we do know each other. So it is a small world. Tim served in seven special forces group. That's the group I served in. 
But remember, I told you I was a soccer instructor for a period of time. Tim, uh, Tim was one of my students. Is that right? No <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah, I know, I know who Tim is. Well, we <laughs> run into each other quite a bit. So Tim's a friend of mine. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I told Tim, I said, you know, originally I thought I could do that show, Hard to Kill, and then I saw it, and I'm like, hell no. Not doing that. <laughs> nope, I'm out. I'm ringing the bell. I'm out on that. Yeah, so, yeah that, that's the crazy stuff. Yeah. So, again, yeah. bravo Zulu to you guys that want to do that stuff. But, uh, oh, no, it's just, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, to the point of, it's just, you treat everyone the same, and that's how you build teams. You know, really, that's, that's it. So there's three things I always look for when building a team, and, and, and it's, uh, I carry it to, to today, with building a team with, at the Jewel Memorial Foundation. You know, I look for ability. Uh, is someone able to bring something to the table? Can they do this? Are they able to, are they, you know, second is credibility. Are they the right person to be on this team? Should they be on the team, or are they not? You know, and the third thing is humility. If you look at the pillars, I would call that my center pillar of humility. But all those set on a foundation of trust. If you have those four things together, I mean, there's an anchor you can't do in this world. I love that. Man, that is so powerful. That's good. That's good. Well, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I think you and I both remember where we were when September 11th happened. Um, And, you know, I think nearly 3 million Americans have deployed in support of, of the global war on terror. And, you know, close to 7,000 have been killed, 52, you know, thousand wounded in action and, and, you know, 20% of our veterans, you know, returning home with some form of invisible wounds of war, you know, PTSD, traumatic brain injury. Um, you know, that's that, that was a monumental event, an occurrence in America for us. And, and now you are at the Global War of Terror Foundation and you're getting ready to pay tribute. You're in the planning stages of establishing a tribute, a memorial Talk to us about that. Why? Why is this okay. number two? You know, number one, but number two. I mean, what can people do to get involved? I mean, this is yeah, um, sure, great. Um, so yeah, I'm the, the president CEO of the Global One Terror Memorial Foundation. Uh, we've been around about three years, and um, we wanted to build a uh, big group of, of like-minded veterans came together, saying, "Hey, we needed we need we need a memorial, we need a monument to honor the service sacrifice of all those that have supported our nation's longest war." However, in order for us to accomplish that, we have to change. We had to change the 2017 federal law. Uh, the Commemorative Works Act of 1986 stated that a war had to be over for a period of 10 years in order for a national war memorial to be built. Now, our very first national war memorial was the Vietnam War, um, and this was, you know, our lawmakers' response to that. So, if we would have followed that law, um, we would never. I, I, I don't know if there's any end in sight for the global war on terror, but we would never have a national war memorial to provide us the opportunity to come together, to provide that point of unity, to provide that point of healing, as well as education that I think we all, uh, as Americans, need uh, need to learn about the current conflict, what, what's the history of it, and where is it going. So if you can imagine this happening in 2017, uh, we introduced uh, uh some legislation in the past in six months, and uh, President Trump signed our bill into law that uh, August of 2017, the Global War on Terrorism War Memorial Act, authorizing us or exempting us really from the Committee of Works Act of 1986, and allowing us to build a national Global War on Terror Memorial in Washington D.C. in our nation's capital on the front line. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's the endeavor. <laughs> I'm in right now, um, and we're in the stages right now of uh, building a program. I have to go before various planning commissions and um, commissioners in D.C., and we're, it's a 24-step process. Um, 
And we're in steps 9 through 12, which is site selection. Mm. And uh, we really, we're building a program to establish this historical significance so we can get Area 1, which is the National Mall area. Um, you know, there's rules and regulations in place, and, and you know, I'm not kicking in doors or breaching doors or jumping in through windows. We're, we're doing this the right way. And, a collaborative effort. I mean, I think you kind of understand a little more of my leadership philosophy yeah. and how I do things. Uh, bringing the people together, and, and you know, that bill when it passed, it was it was it went to the. I mean, the fact it passed six months unanimously with bipartisan. Uh, you know, there's the politics. Uh, there's no. There shouldn't be politics and veteran issues. Yeah, that's right. So that's kind of where we're at right now, and you know, we're hoping for a 2022 groundbreaking and a dedication in 2024. No kidding, that is so awesome, man. That's I, I love that next mission. I mean, and, and it's so important too. I, I would I would tell you that when we our city, my city, did not have, we had like this little small tribute to uh, veterans. You know, like most cities have a veterans plaza of some sort, and our city didn't have one. And uh, you know, we we eventually you know worked to get that passed and raise the money and did all that stuff. And I will tell you, it's like a sanctuary. It's a place of for people to reflect. And sit and reflect, and I think that's what you're talking about doing with this as well, right? Is just paying tribute, right? Of course, yeah, of course. You know, and I think one thing that's important. So, you know, you, you hear this. One thing I'm hoping to to change uh, or really address, and, and you know, have the discussion uh, begin really is. So, at any given time, one percent of our population is wearing the uniform uh, right now. One percent protecting ninety nine percent. And generally, when you say that to people, everyone looks at it as a bad. Like, oh my gosh, it's almost like they. they it's almost people jump to the conclusion that, and, and the perception is wrong, and then like, well, there's not enough patriotic people can do it, or there's not enough patriotism, and that is the complete opposite. You know, I look at that number being part of that one percent, or a family of that one percent. Obviously, you know, I'm proud. I'm extremely proud that it only takes one percent to protect the ninety-nine percent. Um, but that speaks to strength, resiliency, flexibility, and self-reliance of that one percent. So we owe it to that one percent. However, one of the consequences of that is that. Today, um, you know, in World War II, 11% of the population served. Uh, Korea was 7%. Uh, Vietnam was 4%. And, you know, we're at 1% right now, or, or depending on the numbers, however you look at you know, 4 million have worn the uniform since 9 11. Yep. Um, so, you know, you look at that, that means there's a lot of people in this country that don't know a veteran, don't know anybody that deployed, is so far detached. So, there's a narrative that's passed around and it's completely wrong. You know, civilian military divide. We do not have a civilian military divide. My father, when he came home from Vietnam, experienced a civilian military divide. What we have today is a misunderstanding. So what we plan to do, and I hope to do with the building of this memorial, is to help, you know, educate everybody about what it is that we're doing. What, what, who are the people that serve? You know, and it's not just a, yes, it is a very small group of, of uh, a small percentage of our citizens that are doing this. But if you look at, let's look at my son's platoon here in 82nd and one of his in here, Cobra. If you look at the, the demographics of, of his platoon, whatever social label they take on, their sexuality, their sex, their race, creed, religion, whatever, whatever they, whatever social label they, they take on, or however many they do, you are not going to find a more diverse working group in any organization in the country. The most diverse and inclusive organization in existence is the United States military. So So in essence, that 1%, we're direct reflection of the 99%. So there's no difference. We're you. We're the mirror image of our our nation's citizens. You know, but people don't really 
think about like that. We don't understand that. You know, those are other things that we we're hoping to educate. You know, the you know everybody within this country. And, and there's there's a, some studies that have been done on some Vietnam veterans that were fighting post traumatic stress, dealing with post traumatic stress, and they did a research study and uh, of them visiting the Vietnam veterans lab. And there's there actually there's actually studies showing that their symptoms decreased the more often they went to visit this memorial, the better they felt. They let the decrease of their symptoms that existed. And I'm putting together some other stuff to help us uh, to get that message out and show the true impact of building a memorial. It's a point of unity, you know. It's just a point of healing. It's a point of education. You know, the second order effects of that is to remind everybody in this country, whoever you think you are, whatever you are, you're an American citizen. You know, I want everyone, I want to provide an opportunity for everyone to remember what it was like after the towers fell, after the, after the Flight 93 crashed, and things like that, after the Pentagon was hit. Of course, you know, it was, it was tragic, but I want everyone to remember what it felt like to be an American that day. Yeah. I want, it, 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 that's what it was. It, it, they, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, I talk about this all the time, you know, especially when it gets into politics, and I don't want to dive there, but. But it's, it's, you know, it's that one team, one fight, right? When that incident happened, we came together as a country, as Americans, not political parties, not as anything else, but truly as Americans, you know, helping our neighbor out, doing whatever we could to make sure that people were back on top. And uh, I, I love that spirit that you're taking on with this, Rod. That's 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 pretty awesome. That's what, well, I'm, you know, that's cool. I'm humbled to do it. Yeah, <laughs> no, to do cool. so, so what can people do to, to, you know, if they want to learn more or donate, you know, who do they visit? Can they follow you? I mean, where, yeah, where do they go? So we're, we're on social media, Global One or G1 Memorial Foundation. Um, and on Instagram and Twitter, GWOTMF. Um, you can find me on, on, on the social media channels as well. I'm on there like a, like a teenager. Uh, you know, uh, I'm on there all the time, you know, but it's like just a great platform, um, really to, to empower others. So, um, yeah, we can just go on our website, uh, as well, uh, org or GWOTMF.org. Um, and learn about us. You know, we're in some exciting stages right now. Um, and they can donate directly to the website or they can just follow us. And, and we, we're developing some programs, uh, hopefully to get more engagement from everybody and um, just watch us and support us. We're going to share the mission and start the conversation, you know, yeah. talk about it. That's very cool. That's for, uh, so cool. So, Rod, give us some final words on, you know, what advice do you have for those who are getting ready to transition? I mean, if there was one or two things you could say to them, what, what would it be? What I would tell, what I tell people is, you know, just remember that your service in the military helped create this amazing individual that you are right now. It doesn't define you any more than your childhood defines you. You know, take what you learned and you're defined by your actions and, and honor that. Honor your service by showing everybody what you, you know, the high functioning individual that you really are. That's cool. That's awesome advice. Rod, appreciate your time. Appreciate you being on the show, buddy. Well, hey, thank you for having me. Really, really uh, great conversation. Yeah, you bet.